Please join me in reading the prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the Spirit is read and the Word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Acts 5, 1 through 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, "'Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land?' "'Yes,' she said, "'that is the price.' Peter said to her, "'How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? "'Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, "'and they will carry you out also.' At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died." Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Pam. As we go into uh, continue our sermon series in Acts, uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 5. I don't have a whole lot of time to preach if for you clock watchers out there, but uh, I think this is a very direct and simple message this morning uh, from this chapter. And I have to tell you, it is not the scripture I would have picked for a day for Vacation Bible School Sunday, uh, where we have two people dying the hand of God. Uh, it's one of those scriptures I think a lot of pastors probably never preach on, would avoid at all costs, because it brings up a disturbing question for folks, and I'm going to address that first before we move into what I think is really the lesson for us to learn. The question is, how could God kill two people for what is really a pretty common sin? Uh, the fishermen, I caught a fish this big, you know. The, the uh, retired uh, army officer who uh, is appointed into a government position and someone points out that several of those ribbons he's wearing the, for achievement, for medals, for bravery, for whatever, they aren't his. He bought them online because he just didn't have enough metal on his chest to impress people. The person who's constantly exaggerating their accomplishments, adding just a little bit more to it. That's very common. So what does it say to us in this passage in Acts chapter 5? 
After Barnabas, at the end of chapter 4, a name which means a son of encouragement, after Barnabas sets a great example by selling a lot of land, a, a parcel of land, and giving all of the proceeds to the church, how can it be that two people can come along and give a portion of what they have sold, but, but make people assume that they have sold and given everything to the church, when in reality they sold the parcel and kept part of the proceeds back for themselves? They've claimed they're giving it all, but they're actually not giving it all. How can it be that something like that could demand people's death? I think one thing we have to understand here is at this point in the young life of the church, it's not like it is today. We have thousands of denominations spread all over the world. Some of the denominations are dead or on the verge of death. Some are alive and growing. It's, 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 it's varied all over the place. But at this time, the, the church is one group of one heart and one mind under the Holy Spirit. Miracles are happening, and, 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 and Barnabas and others are selling what they have to help the poor, and it's a beautiful thing. And then here comes this couple in, and they defile it with this action. Now, I don't even know. It doesn't tell us that Ananias and Sapphira, we may meet them in heaven someday. This wasn't necessarily a sin unto eternal death, but it certainly appears to have been a sin unto death in this life. It tells us in 1 Corinthians that some can sin and it leads to death. That some folks uh, so uh, uh, defile the church and work against the spirit of Christ that God just allows them to die in that sin. This is a tough thing. And we say, how could God kill these two people? And I was thinking about it this week. Who are we to say that? Who are we to say that? All around the world right now, people are dying. Dying of hunger. People are dying alone in hospitals with no one to visit them. And we stand by. And we live for ourselves. And we, we don't hear the cries of the needy. One of our prayers around communion. Father, we have failed to hear the cries of the needy. So if we want to point a finger at God, well, we certainly have to point a lot of fingers back at ourselves. And if God did this knowing that he held their souls in in his hands, and he knew the very core of their hearts, and he had created them, and he had given them life, then certainly God is the only being in the universe who has the right to take their lives. And who are we to cry out, what a terrible God you are that you should do this, when we ourselves are complicit, either by action or by inaction, in the deaths of so many. I know that's a heavy burden to lay on us, but I really think, I, I sometimes feel like, uh, especially in this age of email, I can do this very quick. You know, it's, a, it's, it's just a natural reaction. Now, I have been trained to flick those emails aside. See, I have a touch screen on my phone and on the, my laptop. Just flick them like it's nothing. Email comes in. You know, Christians being tortured in Pakistan. Flick. Not a prayer. There's too much. Too much going on. It's like the scene, uh, the scene in, in, in the movie where uh, uh, the man becomes 
uh, God gives him his powers for a while and says, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, the comedian? Hmm? Sam? No, not, not Sam. Yes, yes, Bruce Almighty. There you go. We got it. We got it. Bruce Almighty. In that, in that scene, he's loving it being God having these powers. He can pull the moon closer and make it bigger so he can romance his girlfriend. He's got all this power. Of course, when you do that, you, you create terrible repercussions when you upset the uh, closeness of the moon and sun, tides and everything get thrown out of whack. And begins to understand this, the repercussions to everything he says. And then he's, he's taking people's prayers like I just prayed here, and they're coming in in sort of a celestial, heavenly email system. But he gets overwhelmed. And so then he decides to just, oh, maybe I'll just like select all, delete, and not consider these prayers. You know, he's overwhelmed with that. And in the same way, we in our, in our daily lives, I think, especially in this age of, of mass communication and the Internet and all, we get overwhelmed. And it started a long time ago when you had two or three channels on your TV set, you know, and the Save the Children ad would come on or the ad from some group helping people overseas. And you'd watch for a while, but over time you began to change the channel because you just didn't want to deal with it. We're certainly in that age, we don't want to deal with these things. And then we accuse God of somehow being wrong in doing this and yet we have to think about ourselves and so this this passage this week has opened up a lot of self sort of examination uh, I had a, a woman come over to the house this week she's a woman who uh, uh, a few years back we had a tremendous snowstorm very deep and I looked out my window after the snowstorm and she had been in the hospital and they dropped her off in the street and the driveway and parking area, this is a group with, there's about eight apartments in this, in this old, old house. And it had not been shoveled. Nobody had cleared anything out. And she's just standing out there in the cold, very flimsy clothing. And so, you know, I went and got the shovel and I went out and I began to <coughs> dig out so she could get to the front porch. So I got her to the front porch so she could get into the house, but then she told me she didn't live in the front part of the house. She lived around back, and there was no way to get to her place. So then I had to shovel around the house and get her, get her back in there. But she came the other day, and I'm sitting there, and I had my to-do list. I had my plans. I had all the things I wanted to get done that day, and we had VBS coming up at night. And so, you know, I'm there, and she comes over, and she had gotten a, uh, a new uh, card for... Uh, memory card for her little track phone and she wanted to know if I could help her with it she knew how to get it in but she didn't know how to now call the company to activate her phone and I didn't either I, you know, I have a smartphone I have you know I just go to Verizon they do it all and you know and I'm there like I really don't know what I'm doing but she said well here's a list of seven companies maybe so I called all seven of them listen dial one dial two dial three uh, one of them it was interesting started out in Spanish you know uh, instead of English, you know, if you speak uh, uh, Spanish, Judge 2, but they started everything in Spanish. So I'm going through this and taking all this time, and then I begin to think in this other half of my mind that operates separately when this mind is part can, it can do this on automatic, and I'm thinking, what are you doing? You're sitting here with a woman who, her husband died two years ago. She has no transportation. You know, 
She needs a phone if she has an emergency. And you're sitting here resenting the time you're losing with this. So I had to take my heart and engage it into being with her, present with her, hearing her. And I think we all do that to some extent, don't we? And finally, what I did was I said, listen, this phone is old. Uh, I said, I can't figure this thing out. I'll go to Walmart. So I went to Walmart, got one of those inexpensive track phones, around $40. And then I got the 1,500 minutes for a month plan and pay ahead and all that stuff and got it. So we worked that out. That's, you know, that's... To me, to think that I as a pastor had any hesitation in taking the time to help her tells me how hardened my heart can be and how focused I can be so much on getting things done that I forget about the people for whom the things are getting done. And that was part of the problem here with Ananias and Sapphira was that they were so focused on themselves and what people were going to think about them that they had lost the whole spirit of the church here where the whole spirit of this church was that they were wholehearted and true-hearted. Remember that old song, true-hearted, wholehearted? Anybody know that song? Well, anyways. They were fully engaged with God, with each other, and with the human beings they saw around them. And that's what the church is supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to be as Christians. Not engaged with the screens in our lives. Not engaged with the, with the accumulation of, uh, of prizes and awards and, 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 and platitudes about what great people we are. But we're to be engaged with God and the people we are with. And so I did a lot of soul searching about that this week. And I wanted to share that with you to say I think we all need to take a second look at, at How are we approaching life and how are we approaching God and how are we approaching this life in Jesus Christ? Because certainly Ananias and Sapphira, they got it wrong. They got it terribly wrong. In the New Testament, it is absolutely amazing how many times Jesus speaks to this sin of our souls, this pollution of our souls called hypocrisy, hypocrisy, called uh, a lack of sensitivity to the needs of the people around us. Jesus addresses that all the time. And he gets into this whole uh, thing about the hypocrisy of the people around him, and a lot of it centers upon the idea that we are playing at religion and we're not practicing our religion. I I had some... uh, Things that came to mind with that uh, this week, uh, a passage I love in Amos, where, he, where God says through the prophet, he says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. You know, you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, and I'm not going to accept them. You bring uh, choice fellowship offerings, and I'll have no regard for them. And I, I don't like the noise of your songs, and I will not listen to the music of your harps. And he says something, this line may be familiar with you from Martin Luther King. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. In other words, if you're not going to do justice to other people, if you're not going to be righteous in your doings, then get out of the sanctuary. Get out of the temple. 
Forget trying to impress me with those things because the only thing that impresses me is when your heart is wholly with me and when your heart is with the people around you. John Wesley said, you know, I've, I've shared this with you before, but he said that he really didn't fear that the Methodist movement should cease to exist in the world. That was not his fear. He said his fear was that it would continue to exist, but having only the form of religion without the power. And I think he was so right. And we question today, do we still have the power of religion or are we existing as a dead sect only with the form of religion? Ben Franklin said very succinctly, he said, better well done than well said. That goes back to us preachers. Sometimes we think that if we say something really well and we preach an excellent service that we've done our job. We've said the words. But I think God would say to every preacher now, but wouldn't it be better if you went out and actually did what you preached? And there is a great Latin phrase there that's etched on a lot of universities and organizations out there. It's three words. Essay, quam, videri. To be rather than to seem. To be rather than to seem. It is far better to be what you claim to be than to simply project an image so that you seem to be it. And a lot of people go through life trying to create the image. But according to Jesus, what he said to the Pharisees, but inside it's dead men's bones. Your whitewashed sepulchers that look, you know, gravesides that look, that, uh, that look good on the outside, but inside you've dried up and died. And so this, is, this passage here, while maybe not the first one I would have preached for this day for, uh, on a vacation Bible school Sunday, is still a powerful reminder to us that as magnificent as our buildings may be, as magnificent a, a service as some churches can, be, can put on, that in the end it all comes down to our hearts. And that God sometimes, I believe, maybe all the time, is far more pleased with those people worshiping uh, under some trees down in Haiti or in Africa or Mexico than he is with those in the greatest cathedrals in this land. So we need to keep that in mind. How How much of our Christian life is a seeming thing? an illusion, and how much of it is the reality that we really have tapped into God and into his Holy Spirit. I'm out of time. But I pray that we would, uh, that we would realize the life that we're forfeiting, just as Ananias and Sapphira forfeited theirs, the life that we forfeit when we do not accept Jesus' call to follow him and to discover true life. Promoting ourselves is a dead end. But promoting Jesus leads to life for everyone. And amen.